We are in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Christ's gifts to his church. Please follow in the reading of the word of God. But to each one of us, grace was given according to measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descends is himself also he who ascends far above all heavens so that he might fill all things. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Father, help us to hear this amazing text. Father, let us rejoice at your holy book. Let us rejoice at your words and understand the privilege that we have to see it and the privilege that we have to be grown in it. Help us, Father, stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to keep our focus upon your kingdom and your righteousness. As, Father, we continue to walk through this world, pilgrims passing through. Help us, Lord to walk in a manner worthy of this great calling. In Christ's name, amen. We've been going through this section here, and I started the section out with verses 8 to 10, because that is Christ's right to give gifts. Right? And uh, what he does there, the Apostle Paul gives us an exposition of Psalm 68, verse 18. And Psalm 68, 1 starts it off showing God as a conquering hero. So that is the exposition that is given. I shared with you in the Greek, the word is called Hades. In the Hebrew, it is called Sheol. Both of them refer to a place of death. It has two compartments, an upper and a lower compartment. The lower compartment is those were the bound angels from Genesis 6. And those who rejected the faith in the rest of time. The upper part would have been the Old Testament saints. That place was utilized under the time before the cross. After the cross, it has changed. Okay, so those who were in the upper compartment are in the presence of the Lord. And he led captives home. Because of that, he has a right to give gifts. What, what, what you liken that to out of that Psalm 68 is the victorious warrior. And he defeats this enemy. And he gets the spoils of war. And now he, because he is the victorious warrior, can give the gifts to whomever he wants. And that's what we looked at last week, that he gave gifts to believers. Every child of God has a gift. Okay, It's singular. Whatever the gift is. And, and I'll go back and I'll try to keep it as simple. I, Peter and me are a lot alike in that I keep it simple. There's either a speaking gift or a serving gift. Okay, Those gifts, singular, are made up of multiple things. Right? If you're a teacher, I pray that you have the gift of wisdom and knowledge. 
that would really help you. Okay? You probably need a boatload of mercy. Okay? So, so you see, it takes a whole bunch. If you have the gift of faith, wisdom and knowledge is going to help. Okay? But so is exhortation. So do you see how it works? And you can take two individuals who have basically the same gifts, and yet they're utilized differently as the Holy Spirit chooses. All right, so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a supernatural enablement, okay? That is a divine resource for the task that God has for you. Remember what he says in chapter 1? We are his workmanship designed unto good works that he preordained. So there are tasks that each of us have that God before creation had set aside for you and I. What is wild about it is only you can do that task. I have a task and God bless you, you can't do it. Okay, but you have a task and I can't do it. All right, we may have some holes we plug in and things like that, but it will not be done to the unity of the body that Paul described in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Okay? Each of us have a gift. Okay, that was verse 7. Today we look at verse 11. We see gifts to the whole church in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastor and teachers. Okay? This reason that he recaptured the captives, and I shared with you what that is, gave him the right to give these gifts. He gives each individual a gift, a divine ability. All right? But he also gives gifts to the church. To the church. This is why, uh, if you've known me for any time at all, know that I have an overwhelming passion for the church. All right? I'm not really into parachurch organizations. I am into the church. Okay? Uh, he says here that he gave some as apostles. Let me ask you a question. When I read that, okay, I'm thinking, okay, this letter is written by who? The Apostle Paul, right? I mean, if you're really honest, most of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul, all right? Would you say you're indebted to the Apostles? Listen, you would not have a New Testament without they who wrote it. And if you look at it, they were either Apostles or direct affiliated with the apostles. Okay, Luke is a Gentile. Okay, was not an apostle. Who did he hang out with? Paul. Timothy was not an apostle. Who did he hang out with? Paul. Jude was not an apostle. Who did he hang out with? Haha, I knew I'd snuff you on that one. Peter. If you go read 1 Peter and read Jude, you say, well, that's almost the same. Just the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Okay, but you can see that, that, that they hung out together. All right, so that's what I'm trying to get at 
is that when you look at the New Testament, it is either an apostle or someone who stood shoulder to shoulder with the apostles. Okay. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, explains to you what the early church did. The early church met and did what? Studied the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine. Remember the church is built on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And what? The foundation of the apostles' teachings. Truly, we are indebted. We stand here today because of the apostles. But we are also indebted to the next one. Some as prophets. Some as prophets. As indebted as I am to the apostles, I am equally indebted to the prophets. Okay, those men, men of God, who spoke for God the word of God. Right? We have a, a mis a misunderstanding of the prophet because we think it's someone who tells the future. If I read to you and teach you the book of Revelations. I would be telling you the, the future. All right? But I would be speaking forth what? The Word of God. You see how that works? Listen, it's, it's, I look at it this way. There's a capital A and a capital P. Capital A apostles and capital P prophets. Okay? There's a little a apostles and there's a little p prophets. Okay? The word apostle, apostolon, Literally means a messenger, a sent messenger. Okay, so if you look at the capital A apostle, you know that those men were sent by who? God, with his word. All right, if you have a capital P prophet, that is someone who has taken the words that were given from God to the apostles and now proclaiming it. Okay, now if I take those same two words and I say, all right, there is a small a, right? That's a messenger. When I go to Russia or Azerbaijan or Georgia or one of these places I end up wandering out to, I am an apostle of Castle Rock Baptist Church. I am a messenger sent by this congregation. Okay, the other thing is the little P, prophet, is a person who takes the word of God and declares it. Okay? So technically, what I'm doing right now is proclaiming the word of God. And I can tell you that in my life, I know that part of my gift is prophecy. Okay? But I also have some wisdom. I also have some other things that I'm in desperate need of. Discernment and ruling and all these other things that I have to have and depend on supernatural enablements. Okay? But we are indebted to the prophets. Those men who took the word of God that was given by the apostles and spoke the word of God to God's people. They are the ones who... um, 
I, I guess if, if I could, they solidified the infant church. They gave it a foundation to work off of. All right. And they were God's men. They made solid the prophets, the teachings of the apostle. All right. Remember, uh, they had a little problem in Jerusalem. Uh, so many people were getting saved and that, that they once you got saved in the Jewish community, you had no ability to work anymore. You'd, they would not allow you to have a job. So you had all these people coming into the church and the church was trying to take care of all of these people. And then you end up with a lot of widows and they had what was called the Hellenistic Jews, which were Jewish people who had lived in the Greek culture. And then you had the others who had lived in the Hebrew culture. And they were overwhelmed with trying to take care of them and was birthed the deacon. Because it said the apostles needed to what? Give themselves to prayer and the word. And so they appointed godly men, spirit-filled, and you take care of meeting the needs of the congregations. Okay? We are truly, truly indebted to these people, these men. If you look at chapter 2, verse 20. Having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Okay. Now, that's where he's given us an explanation of the church and how the church operates. All right. We are indebted to what these men did. They had an amazing task. If you really want to think, I was teaching on it. If you really want to think about it, I was teaching on it this morning in Sunday school. That between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel. All right. We knew at the end of the 69th week that Messiah would be cut off. But we also know that in the, uh, the 70th week of Daniel, then the eternal kingdom would start. Okay. What we didn't know is that there's a gap between 69 and 70. And that's where you and I are at. That's why you and I have the New Testament. I have people tell me, he says, well, you know, I, you know, I, I worship my own way. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to do that. You know, if I, if I read my Bible, then I'm, that's just like church. And that's not it. That's not it like at, at all. Okay. Ask yourself a question. You got four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you got a historical book, right? The book of Acts. After that is what? Romans. Okay. Have you ever noticed that all the rest of the letters are written to either church leaders or churches? Interesting concept if you think about it. And yet we're flipping with church today. And I keep thinking, yeah, you've got a spiritual gift that you refuse to use in the body of Christ that he died for. You can explain that to him when you see him. See what I'm trying to get at? It's not, that is my passion, is the body of Christ. The unity of the saints and the bonds of peace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when that's all working, lost people want to know how. And that's when we give our testimony. Jesus Christ caused me to decrease, caused him to increase. And the only thing I have left is unity. Okay. So by the end of the first century, 
the use of apostles and prophets had come to an end. John wrote his gospel late 89, and then Revelations was written uh, right around 90 AD. And once that was done, the book was done. Chronologically, the first letter that was written that you and I have as the New Testament was 1 Thessalonians. Okay? Chronologically. And then the rest of it came together in different parts. They were the foundations. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 tells us. They were the foundations. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. We don't have any more. We don't need a capital A. God is not giving new revelation. You don't need a capital A. But you need a small p. Because the prophets need to take what was already here and that is pinned down and proclaim it. And we only need to do that until Christ returns. Okay? We are admonishing and exhorting to present every man complete in Christ. Where I come from, that's called job security. Okay? Keep you busy. We are indebted to these men who gave us the Word of God. We are indebted to these men who proclaimed the Word of God. They founded the basis that you and I stand on today. This is, they are the fulfillment of the legacy of God in the body of Christ to a lost and dying world. But God wasn't done. Giving us these gifted men to lay this foundation, God gives us gifted men to build on that foundation. Okay? Note the first one. What is it? Evangelist. You know what an evangelist is, right? I guess not. Okay, evangelist is a person that brings the good news. He confronts the sinner and explains to them that there is forgiveness and the blood of the cross. All right, now this person gets saved. Now what? Well, they need to be shepherd and they need to be taught. All right, when you see the word pastor, it's poimia. It means shepherd. It means shepherd. Some of you, oh, I forgot their name. Stephen and what? From Scotland. Rhoda, from Scotland. They're Church of the Brethren. And up in Peterhead, Scotland. You can't miss it. It's the only one. Okay? They're in Church of the Brethren. And all of the elders take turn teaching. You know, an elder may be studying the book of Philemon, so they'll say, hey, why don't you teach on forgiveness the book of Philemon? And then that person will teach until they're done or whatever. Okay? But all of their elders' wives are called pastors. Now that freaks out the Baptist. 
Okay? They, they, just, they got veins stick out on their foreheads and all the rest of it. But I understand why. Because the elder's wife most likely or should be what? Shepherding, you would think. But they, the person who's behind the pulpit is not called the pastor. He is called the elder. Okay? And part of the elder's job is to shepherd. Okay? But uh, I don't tell people this all the time because some Baptists just can't handle that. Oh, no, my God, my God, what? You can't do that. Okay? And it's uh, whatever. Okay? So if you think about it, you have people who have supernatural ability as an evangelist. But then they bring people into the congregation who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it is now the shepherd's responsibility to guide them and teach them. Alright? Because I hear a lot of people that say, well, see, there's a place for a pastor, there's a place for a teacher. Well, if a pastor can't teach, he's useless. Okay? So, when I look at it, I say, okay, you, you want a teaching pastor is what you want. So, you have an evangelist who brings them to salvation, shows them the foolishness of their ways... And then they are involved in a church that has men who will shepherd them and teach them. Gifts that Christ won at the cross and chose to give back to his church. Now, each of you have a gift. Okay? And it would be a multicolored gift made up of what you have is categories of gifts. But in that category of gift, you will have a whole bunch of little bitty gifts that make that in its fullness. It's like, uh, have you ever seen uh, oil painting? People who paint with oils. If you ever watch them at the beginning, they don't have very many colors on there. What the heck is that? Okay. And all of a sudden, they'll mix it up, and all of a sudden, you get a lavender color that that ain't on that. How do you do that? Okay? And so, they mix it. That's how our spiritual gifts are. Someone, God has taken his palette, and he has mixed them together and given them to individually to each person, so it is a multicolored function of him. But also, to the body dynamic... The whole thing, he has given supernaturally powered men for evangelism and for shepherding and teaching. Listen, I can tell you that I do not have the gift of evangelism. Okay? It does not mean that I have not been used to lead people to Christ. Okay? I have five Okay, so in 25 years, that proves I'm not an evangelist. Okay, but I can tell you this, the five people that I have led to Christ have all 
become fully active in the body of Christ and in different ministries that just is amazing to me. And you know what is amazing to me? They weren't your typical Baptist. They didn't get saved, got on fire and fell away and then came back. They got on fire and have been burning bright ever since. Okay? So I don't really want to evangelize anymore because I got a pretty good record. I'm 5-0 and oh and I think I'm going to just leave it there. Okay? But, but I share that because I don't. I guess it goes back to my testimony when I got saved. You know, it's kind of in a, a dark place. And I, I found a church. I asked to be baptized. And, and I, I said, okay, what do I do now? And they said, well, read the Gospel of John. Uh, they said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a contractor. They said, well, you can do building maintenance. And I thought, well, that's it? I sure thought there was more to it. Why do you want me to start reading a book in the middle? I mean, go to the end or the front, but the middle? But anyway. But that was back when we made converts, and yet the Bible says we are to make disciples. But see, what I learned was making a convert is easier than making a disciple. A disciple is agonizing. It's long. It's long-suffering. Making a convert, you get somebody to say a prayer and Maybe dump, dunk them in the jacuzzi and hallelujah. Okay? Then the war begins. The problem is, is that too many times we get someone comes to salvation, we let them go and they're not ready for battle. So in my case, I am more of a teaching shepherd. And I praise God for the evangelist. Because this is the legacy of Jesus Christ to his church. What he is showing us is this body. I showed you in verse 7 that we all have a gift. Okay, then I show you in verse 11 that there are even special gifts given to the church collectively to be utilized in the church. Have you ever read verse 12 yet? Okay, Because when you read verse 12, then you realize that 4, 5, and 6 is how this all acts. And it's based on this dynamic of verses 1 through 11. In all humility, walk worthy. In patience, meekness, tolerance. Why? Because you all have a gift. But don't worry, I've given gifted men to the church so that they can help you understand your gift and utilize it and understand what your position is in Christ so that your practice in Christ will be self-evident, second nature. You got to live the life that he told us about in chapters 1 to 3 and 4 to 6 is how we remember it. This is what it looks like. And then we remember with it starts off with that great big one right up front. In all humility. See, once we stand, once an individual stands in all humility, then you will realize where your resources in your spiritual gifts come from. 
and how they are utilized. Please understand something about spiritual gifts. It is not talents. Okay, I know a lot of people who try to think that their spiritual gift is something that they're good at. Okay, your spiritual gift is actually going to be something that you're not good at. Because then who gets the glory? I I know a lot of people believe music is a spiritual gift. That's a talent. If it was a spiritual gift, that means I could go right over there right now and start playing the piano. Ain't happening. (laughs) I could play the drums, but there's only one stick, so I don't know what it would be. A rum pum pum pum. No. Once you stand in that humility, then you realize what your resources are. The problem is we have a hard time stepping into humility. Because there's things that we are good at. Okay, there's, there's different things that each of you have an ability at. Okay, you know, I, I get amazed at times when I watch people type. I think if I did that, I'd break my fingers. Or at least get them tied up that I'd have to go get them untied. But I, I just see, and then, then you get those really good ones. They can just look at the screen and do this. I can do that too, <laughs> but I'd be typing in tongues. <laughs> okay, because I used to have one of those that you could put on your ear and you talk into it and it would print and it just made it fun of the way I talked. And so I got rid of that because it hurting my feelings. God has given to his church gifted men. To help you and me exercise our gifts. To utilize our gifts. But the greatest, I think, about that whole thing is it helps the Christian know their position in Christ. That is one of the greatest things that I see missing in the uh, community of faith. A lot of people know what they're supposed to do. You know, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. Okay? Very few people know why. Very few people. Do you know that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Do you know you were chosen in Him before the foundations of creation? That should be a shocker. I remember a guy asked me, Terry, when did you get saved? Before there was existence. <laughs> what? Yeah. Now, I didn't get in on the message for a while, but I was. You know, I think about my own life, uh, my own gift, my own positions, my own abilities and my own inabilities. It dawned on me how indebted to God's gifted men I truly am. I think about the evangelists that have been in my life. Uh, one of the best preachers that I've ever heard uh, was Dr. Stephen Olford. But he was an evangelist. That was his thing. But when it came to textual thematic exposition, whoa. But he was an evangelist. 
You All you had to do is listen to him for a couple of minutes. You could sit down with him at dinner or you could just be out walking in the gardens or whatever it was you were doing. You realize this man's fire of his bones was for the lost. And all of them. And yet, he was probably one of the most powerful preachers that I have ever heard in my life. Well, I'll tell you what. He spoke out at the International Conference of the Bible in 1998. It was in John MacArthur's church. Okay? And I, you talk about, I thought the roof was open and we were out of here. I mean, we started out with Joel Stoll. Adrian Rogers was there. David Jeremiah was there. I mean, you had, you was like, ugh, ugh. Uh, and, and everybody gave two messages. And so John MacArthur came up and gave his second message. And I thought it was all over, but I thought, you know, we still got another day. And sure enough, the next day, this little guy comes up about that tall. I might be exaggerating. But a little Welsh man with white hair goes walking up the stairs up to the platform. And there's a lot of stairs to get up there. I thought he was going to fall. And he gets up and I was like, this old man's going to preach after MacArthur in MacArthur's church. Oh, well, he went up and MacArthur has a hydraulic pulpit because they let it down and then they do baptisms on the platform and then they bring it back up. And he walked up and when he walked up to the pulpit, it was like this. <laughs> and all of a sudden the pulpit went down and he laid his Bible down and says, I must get me one of these. And he read out of Timothy, 1 Timothy 4. He read the text, and it was like the man instantly went to 20 years old. And I mean, he lit the place up. And after he got done, standing ovations. And that's the first time I ever heard anybody clap for a pastor. And I mean, it was standing. And all he did was held his head down and he pointed his finger and went like that. And I noticed that a lot of times when he preached that I'd seen him around the United States, when they stood and applauded, he pointed to heaven. Okay? But he was an evangelist. But he's a teacher. He's a teacher. I'm not an evangelist. Though, if you think about it, if you're preaching, proclaiming the Word of God, there is an evangelistic nature to it. I mean, you're bringing forth the holiness of the Creator. You just never know. <laughs> Maybe I'll be six for six. I think about the people the evangelists in my life. I think about the teaching shepherds in my life. Uh, I'm still in contact with uh, Stephen's son, David, and he's more of a teaching shepherd. Uh, great insight. I was exposed to a guy named Wayne Barber, who was a teaching shepherd. And um, uh, so I, I get a lot. I read a lot. Uh, I just got done. I had to go back and pick up my mom and bring him out because of my brother's health. And um, I had a CD thing uh, that Steve Lawson had put out on Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, Dr. Jones is one of my favorite 
Uh, other than the fact that every time I listen to him, I'm convicted. But he's still one of my favorites. And anyway, so he had just wrote a book on Dr. Jones. And um, by the time I got just outside of Kansas City, I was heartbroken. <laughs> I was like, what in the world am I doing? But uh, um, it is men like that. I've been in his church, uh, Dr. Jones's church. It's Caddy Corner from Scotland Yard. Um, but his stuff is outstanding. And uh, But he was uh, uh, not a man of pretenses. It was preach the word, preach the word, and preach the word. He says, I do not need your humor. I don't need your stories. I don't need your yarns. I don't know what that is. I want the word of God because everybody else has the other minutia. And you're like, sorry, man. Okay, but that's the way he was. And his, his, his doctorate was in cardiology. So go, go figure that out. But I've got his commentaries on Romans. And you see the diagnosis talent of a physician in the letter to the Roman church. And it's just amazing. Think about all the shepherds that have been... Uh, a, a shepherd who kind of was a long, long, long time ago, uh, Robert Murray McShane, um, preached in the 1500s, uh, died young, but uh, powerful preacher, powerful preacher. Of course, you can't leave out Charles Spurgeon. Um, there's so many. R.C. Sproul... He was a teacher, but I think he had way too much knowledge and not a, maybe not enough wisdom. I remember him telling me one time that if you're not a handicapped golfer, you don't play enough golf. But if you're a handicapped golfer, then you're not in the Bible enough. <laughs> so, And he was a very good golfer, very, very good golfer. I think he was like a two-handicap, but... Uh, Anyway, but I, and, and I can't leave the pulpit without saying that the one time I saw him out at uh, Grace Community, he did an imitation of Columbo. Does everybody know who Columbo is? And I, you're just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you just see him doing this across it, and he had this brown coat on. You're like, oh, geez. <laughs> so, but, uh, but those men had, I'm indebted to those men. And I can go on and on to the people I've read. You know, uh, John Calvin, he wrote his Institutes, which is probably the greatest single volume of Christendom that there is. Okay? You, I mean, there's a lot of books. I mean, when I say it's this, it's this, this many books. Okay? In his Institutes. He did it when he was 19. He's using words when he was 19. I don't even know what they mean now. And I, some of these guys you read and you're like, I gotta get with Dixon there and figure out what he just told me. Okay? But you see what I'm trying to get at? We have so many people that God has gifted to the body of Christ that we are indebted to. I think of those that I've had the privilege of listening to. I think about those that I've had the privilege of reading. I've 
Thank God for those who I have been able to sit down at a table and discuss. Gifted men that have an effect on the body of Christ over generations. Over generations. I remember Adrian Rogers had a message. Will OJ get a fair trial? And is Elvis alive? And he said, yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, you're like, and he went on and explained it. It was a little longer message than that. But, uh, <laughs> but I thought, you know, what kind of brain sits around and thinks up this stuff? We have gifts from Jesus Christ to his church. I am indebted to God's gifted men. One of the things that I have seen that has happened in the body of Christ is that there is very, very little thankfulness for the gifted men that God has placed in the church. I mean, we got 54 evangelical churches in Castle Rock. Are we grateful? The reason that we have so many, why? I told you last week, too many go to church thinking it's a spectator sport. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to listen. You're running late, man. But yet I'm indebted to God's gifted men. First Timothy tells us we are to give double honor to such men. First Thessalonians says we are to give them the utmost in respect. The writer of Hebrews says, follow them and pattern your lives after them. They are gifts of Christ to his church. Do you realize what a tremendous responsibility it is to follow these men? If God supernaturally gifts this and puts it in your midst, then you now have a responsibility to follow. But the other side of that coin, the one that I don't like to look at, it's a great responsibility for those men to fulfill the responsibility to God. Christ has given us wonderful gifts. Paul tells us, tells you who want to walk worthy, then walk in humility. Why? If you walk in humility, then you will walk in unity. And it's a walk where you recognize the resources are in your own spiritual gift and the ministries of these gifted men. Ask yourself a question. Are you submitting to gifted men? Are you coming under the leadership of godly evangelists? Teaching shepherds? Have you submitted yourself to them? Listen, I don't know about you. I've got it here with a little smiley face and then a frown on the other end with a quote. That speaks loudly. That speaks loudly. To me, I have to ask, am I being faithful 
to being the kind of a godly man that someone would submit to. Paul says, who's adequate for such a task? That's why God says it will take a supernatural ability to make this happen. Listen, the view in the church right now, as I see it, in my communications with other church leaders, whether in our denomination or outside of our denomination, around the world, not so much else. If you go to the persecuted countries like Georgia and Azerbaijan, uh, it's, it's not as visible. Russia is on a drastic evangelical downslide because of their freedom. Uh, kind of what we did over about a hundred years, Russia is going to try to do it in about 20. Uh, I don't know where it's at right now. But the view of Christianity is not something that you do for God. It is really something he's already done for you. You need to tap into it and wake up. See, all he says to each of us, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your gift is, I don't care how long you've known God, I don't care how long you've walked with him or haven't walked with him or if you're just mad at him. All he says is that I will set the pace and I gave myself to you already. And he's even given himself to us in the gifts that each of us have. Every spiritual gift, no matter the category, is perfectly illustrated in the person of Christ. Do you understand that? If ever there was a preacher, Christ. If ever there was a teacher, Christ. If there ever was a ruler, Christ. If there was ever an administrator, Christ. If there was ever a servant, Christ. If there was ever a helper, Christ. If there was ever a giver, Christ. If there was ever a man of faith, Christ. Christ is the perfect illustration of every spiritual gift. You know, they say, well, what about the gift of tongues? Okay, if I take it in its literal sense, it's a gift of languages. Who created language? Okay. And now some of the stuff that you hear today that they claim is tongues, that don't remind me of Christ. Okay? Maybe Noah after he came out of the tent naked, but not, not Christ. And if you don't know what that story is, don't worry about it. Okay? He is giving each of us himself. Self donation. Remember what he said in verse 7? According to the measure of Christ's gift. What was the measure of his gift? Everything. That was the measure of his gift. Everything. 
You know, I try to wrap my head around that. And my head says it's not big enough. (laughs) He lacked nothing in what he gave to me. Peter said, when you speak, speak the oracles of God. When you serve, do it as unto God. Why? Because it's God's gift to you. It only operates in His own energy. The donation of Himself to each. Remember, each of us have a gift that operates in the fullness of Him. Because He donated Himself. That's what the grace is. When God gives the church gifted men, pastor teachers, evangelists, they can only operate in the energy of God. Because I've heard them when they don't. And it ain't got nothing to do with how enthusiastic they are or how much they sweat or any of that other stuff. There is a difference between... Listen, when I was at the International Conference of the Bible, everybody preached two times. It started on a Monday. Okay? I can tell you what every man preached on except one. I can tell you the text that they've preached on. That was in 1998. The one, I can tell you his really cool funny stories about when he saw his wife without makeup the first time. And then at the end of his message, he quoted from the great theological movie, Rocky. Get up, you bum! I'm like... International Conference of the Bible, and that's what I remember about you. Making fun of your wife. It's obvious she's not here. Somebody throw a brick at you. And a quote from a Rocky movie. Now, all the rest of them I remember. I know the text is it. All right? It's the energy of God because it's God's resources. It was God who donated it. That is that self-giving of God. When we sing of grace, or we speak of grace, understand that it is God giving Himself completely. All that Christ Jesus has, has been given to every believer. I don't care how long you've been saved. I know, before existence, but besides that. All that Christ Jesus has, has been given to you. What do you think a joint heir is? Okay. He has enabled me to serve him in this manner. He has enabled each of you to serve in a manner. He has equipped each of us in such a wonderful way with a a divine gift. And each of us, these are very gracious gifts. Then, my response, our response to him is what? Obedience. Listen, this is not something based on legalism. It is something that flows from a heart that is full of loving gratitude. You know how you can tell a lost person from a saved person? A lost person's not thankful. They have no gratitude. 
I trust that it's your heart to be grateful. If not, I trust that it will be soon. Have a quote here I'll close with. Saying thanks and not living thanks makes words ashes. Brothers and sisters, because you're children of the God, you have been given much. And to whom much is given, much is required. Remember, it is according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've already done. Father, as I continue reading your book, I just can't run. My gratitude just grows in such a way as I run out of ways to express my thanks and the things that I am thankful for. Father, I pray that each of us will be known for that, that we'll understand what it means to walk worthy, even as the Apostle Paul begged the Ephesians. We do it in all humility, and gentleness and patience, tolerance and love of one another, diligently preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Help us, Father. Help us to be strengthened in the inner man. Help us to press on to the upward calling of Christ. To you, my King. Amen.